0: following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So I want to walk through it with you, this passage in Luke 24, and just get a sense of what is going on here. First thing we read in this passage on the first day of the week, uh, which was Sunday, very early in the morning. The woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So this group of women who were followers of Jesus, helpers of Jesus, they take these spices uh, to embalm the body of Jesus, and they go to the tomb. Now, when you think about the tomb of Jesus, where, where He was laid, we want to get the right image in our mind here. Sometimes we think of this really big, elaborate kind of structure, this huge tomb. Uh, and, and certainly if you go today to the place where Jesus is believed to be buried, or the tomb where Jesus was, uh, that's the impression you get. It's this incredibly elaborate structure. It's in the church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And it's this, you go into this tomb, and it's the size of a small bedroom, and it's lit with all these candles. You have all these shrines and icons of the saints and banners and all this kind of stuff, and there's just these layers and layers and layers of religiosity there. And it's actually very hard. I found it hard when I visited to get a sense of what this would have been like because it doesn't feel like a tomb. It just feels like a religious shrine. Um, The kind of tomb that Jesus was buried in is more like this next picture. Just a simple cave or cavern that was cut into the side of the ground reasonably small. I mean, it would have only been big enough to get the body in and maybe one or two people kind of hunched over in there. It would have been small. It would have been tight. Nothing ostentatious about this. Nothing elaborate. Nothing showy. It was simple. It was low-key. It was humble. That's the kind of place where Jesus' body was laid after he was crucified on the Friday. So these women come to the tomb. They find the stone rolled away and then they find verse 3, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's interesting that of all the gospel writers, only Luke mentions the word body at this point. He, only Luke is interested in talking about the body of Jesus. The other writers talk about Jesus, but only Luke specifies they didn't see the body of Jesus. And it's probably because Luke was a doctor. The guy writing this gospel was a doctor. And so he is interested in the physicality of the resurrection. And as Luke writes this account, he wants you to know this is a physical thing that has happened here. This is a body. This is a corpse. This is a dead person who has come back to life. Sometimes the resurrection is kind of treated, it's sort of written off like a metaphor. It's it's kind of just reduced to this nice sentiment. You know, Jesus rises in our hearts. You know, whenever we have faith, that's kind of, that's the resurrection and it's not really this physical thing. But the earliest Christians believed because they had seen that Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. And that's important to hold on to. So they didn't find the body of Jesus, but what they did find was a couple of angels standing there. And these angels say to them in verse 5, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And then they remind them of Jesus' words that he spoke about his death and his resurrection. And these women believe what they've, what they've heard. And then they race back to tell the other disciples. And you can only imagine what these women are feeling at this point. I mean, the text is so brief. It doesn't tap into the emotions that must have been swirling around this mixture of surprise and shock and awe and a bit of confusion and um, excitement, astonishment at what had happened. And they go back and tell the other disciples. And you kind of expect that everyone is going to embrace this and the story is just going to keep rolling forward. But you sort of hit a wall in verse 11, which says about the other disciples, but they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, part of the issue here is that in these ancient cultures, the testimony of women was unreliable, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you the facts. I'm just telling you the history, Don't shoot the messenger here, okay? This is just, this is how it was. Ancient world, you know, even in a court of law, uh, women weren't even permitted to give evidence. This is unfortunately just how not just Jewish society, many ancient societies was just very, very patriarchal. And that's part of what we're dealing with here. Not only is this unbelievable news, but it's coming from a group of women. And so the disciples just unfortunately didn't trust them as reliable eyewitnesses. And they wrote this off as nonsense. And that word literally means just silly talk or foolish talk. But then the story ends at this point with Peter. He's the exception. And he didn't just take these women at their word verbatim either, but he got up and, verse 12, he ran to the tomb. And he looked in for himself. And there's no mention there. When Peter gets there, there's no mention of any angels there. But he goes into the tomb and he sees the strips of linen lying there that Jesus' body was wrapped in. And I don't know about you, I, I kind of thought of these strips of linen sort of like nicely folded, nice white grave clothes, you know. but you think about it, these were the strips of linen that Jesus' body was wrapped in when it was taken off the cross, this mangled, bloodied corpse wrapped in these strips of linen. They would have been covered in blood, they would have been covered in all sorts of bodily substances, and this, that would have been a mess and that's what Peter encounters there. But nobody. And so he goes away, and the passage ends with Peter wondering to himself what had happened. And that word wondering is interesting. Some of your translations might say he was astonished or he was amazed. But the word doesn't mean to believe, and it doesn't mean to not believe. It just kind of means to be not sure. You could be amazed. You can be astonished, but he's still not sure. He's just not sure where he, where he sits with all this. He was confused. He was bewildered. He doesn't know what sense to make of it. And that's, that's kind of where the text leaves him. That's where he is. And, and it's not resolved. Luke feels okay with just leaving the story there. We don't hear anything more about Peter for the rest of this gospel. And there's this tension that's created. And you're kind of left wondering, well, what, how did this work out? Did he eventually believe? Did he not What about the rest of the disciples? Did they believe? Did they not? And Luke's comfortable just kind of leaving us with that cliffhanger ending. And I think it's intentional. I think because part of what Luke is doing is leaving the story unresolved so that we are drawn into it. So that we look at the story and we are forced to ask, well, where am I in this? And how do I respond to this? And how would I react to those events? And who would I be? in this story? That's really the question that we need to wrestle with. Who would I be in this story? Uh, Because what you have here really are three different reactions to the resurrection. You have the women who believe. You have the disciples who don't believe at this point, write it off as nonsense. And you have Peter, who's not sure. And those three reactions are the same three reactions that people have today to the resurrection. They represent the three responses people can have. You believe, you don't believe or you're not sure. Everybody is in one of those three categories. Everybody in this room right now is in one of those three categories. Either you believe it, the resurrection, you don't believe it, or you're just not sure. You're like Peter, you're wondering. And so the good thing is that no matter where you are on this, this story has something to say to you. No matter where you're at, even if you don't really buy into it, this story still has something to say to you. You're still in this story somewhere, and it still has something to speak to you. So I just want to look briefly at each of these three people and how they responded to the resurrection, how they represent us today, and how they can kind of help to guide us forward in our own thinking about this and searching. So firstly, uh, let's look at the other disciples. Let's start with the negative first, the disciples that just didn't believe. They write this off as nonsense. They don't believe the women, and they just think this is, this is foolish talk. And fair to say, there's a fair number of people in our world today who are in exactly the same boat. When it comes to the resurrection, uh, their view, they tell the story the same way that our boy Josh told the story. Jesus is still dead. That's the version of the Easter story a lot of people live with. That's the the way a lot of people think about Jesus. That's the way a lot of people think about the Easter story in our very secular culture. For a lot of people, Jesus is still dead. He might've been a good guy. He might've been a great moral teacher. He might've been a good example to follow, but at the end of the day, he died. That's unfortunate. Maybe that was bad timing, but he is still dead because dead people don't come back to life again. And to believe anything more than that, for some people, it just takes the story into the realm of crazy. This is kind of just a religious myth, you know. To, but to believe more than that takes faith, and it moves beyond what a lot of people are comfortable with because the resurrection of Jesus is seen as impossible, and so it's unbelievable. And I actually think that people who say the resurrection is impossible are right. I think people who say the resurrection is unbelievable are right. It is impossible, It is unbelievable, and that's the point. The resurrection is not the story of something possible happening. Easter is not the story of something that just could have or might have happened in the normal course of ordinary events. It is the story of something absolutely impossible happening. It is the story of something unbelievable happening. Of course, it breaks all the laws of science. It doesn't fit with the laws of nature as we know them. It doesn't fit with the laws of human biology as we know them. It doesn't fit with the way the world works as we thought we understood it. But that's the point. The resurrection defies the laws of nature. The resurrection defies the laws of human biology because, of course, dead people don't come back to life. But that's the point. The resurrection points us to the fact there is something beyond these laws that the rest of us are bound by. The very fact that you've got an event here that defies the laws of human biology means there's something beyond those laws. There's something or there's someone else that is able to bend and change those laws at will because he's not bound by them in the same way we are. So the resurrection points us towards this impossible event actually happening, a power that has broken into our world from outside of our world and forever changed the course of human history. And that's worth paying attention to because that opens up a new way of seeing the world and experiencing the world. See, the resurrection is only nonsense if you live with a closed universe view. If you live with a closed universe view, then you believe this material world is all there is. Uh, What we can see and touch and observe and stick under a, a microscope, that's all that exists. That's a closed universe. And if you have that view, it will automatically predetermine what you do and don't believe about things and what you will and won't accept. And so you'll come to an event like the resurrection, and it doesn't fit with a closed universe view. And so you'll automatically dismiss it out of hand because your worldview predetermines what you will and won't allow yourself to believe. But at a certain point, this kind of becomes circular logic. You refuse to believe an event because you've already decided events like this don't happen. Events like this can't, it just becomes a self-reinforcing kind of thing. It kind of reminds you of people before Copernicus, you know, who believe the world's flat, the earth is flat. And if you've got that worldview, you interpret the facts to fit. You interpret reality to fit that worldview. And anything else is just seen as nonsense. The reality is if you believe the resurrection is nonsense, it may be that the problem is not with the resurrection. The problem may be with your worldview. The problem may be that your view of the world is too flat. And that needs to be opened up. A little bit. If if your worldview can't contain the reality of what happened that Sunday morning, it may be the problem is with your worldview, that your worldview is not robust enough and big enough to handle the gravity of what unfolded that Easter Sunday morning. And so, I just want to encourage you. If you're in this category and you just you're sitting here and you feel like this is just nonsense, this whole thing, I want to encourage you to allow your worldview to be pried open just a little bit, just a touch this Easter, to allow yourself to entertain the possibility that maybe we don't live in a closed universe after all. Maybe there is something, maybe there is someone beyond just this material reality. Because if you will allow yourself to be open to that, it will make far more sense of life. It will make far more sense of reality. It'll make far more sense of your existence. And it will make far more sense of the Easter story. So don't just look at the resurrection itself and decide it's nonsense. Look at the set of assumptions that you have underneath that. Look at the view of the world you have and ask yourself, is my worldview really doing the job? Is it really able to make the most sense of life and the most sense of this event that unfolded? And if not, maybe that worldview needs to change. Now, okay, let's look at the second group of people in this story. The women who believed. This group of women, they experienced the angel telling them that Jesus was risen and they believed they had faith. Uh, they wouldn't have understood it all. They, they would still have had a lot of confusion, but they believed and they went and told the other disciples. And there'd be a lot of us here who are in that category. There'd be plenty of us here who are Christians. I'm in that category. Those of us who believe at some point in our life, we've heard the good news. At some point in our lives, we've heard this, this message that Jesus is risen and we've decided we do believe that. You may be here this morning and you say, yeah, I, I accept it. I believe it. And so then the question for us in that category, in that second category, is what difference does it make? What difference should the resurrection make in our lives? What ongoing significance should it have? And I encountered this firsthand earlier in the year. Um, We had an awful event in our our church family earlier in the year, a young woman in our church that took her own life. Uh, Young woman, Danielle, beautiful, young, vivacious woman in her 20s. She had a wonderful family, seven-month-old daughter, two-year-old son, um, husband, and tragically, she suffered from postnatal depression, serious postnatal depression, and she got to the point where that depression was so all-consuming that she made this tragic decision to end her life. And I mean, you just can't imagine anything more horrendous, can you, for a family, for a young family, to experience that. Um, For our church family, it was just, it was crushing, it was devastating. And I had the role of taking the funeral for Danielle, You know, the hardest funeral I think I've ever taken. And I wrestled with what to say and, and, and how, to, how to deal with what had happened. And I really didn't want to gloss over it. You know, I remember feeling that the week leading up to the funeral that I didn't want to just sugarcoat it. I didn't want to just kind of pretend like everything was all okay. I wanted to name the brokenness and the awfulness of that situation. And so I tried to do that in the funeral and just talk about the awfulness of what had really happened here without just hiding that fact. But at the same time, Danielle had a faith. She had a genuine faith, and even in the midst of that depression, she had a faith because she believed. She believed what we're talking about this morning. She believed that this event that we're reading about and talking about, she believed this really happened. She believed that Jesus was risen from the dead, and that changed things. It didn't mean that she didn't struggle with mental illness, clearly. It didn't take away her depression. It didn't take away the severity of that experience, but it meant that in the midst of that Because Danielle had that faith, because she believed, she knew that Jesus was alive, she knew that Jesus was with her. And the difference it made is that even when she struggled to hold on to God, he was still holding on to her. Jesus is alive, and he was still holding on to Danielle right through that whole time. I remember at the funeral, um, we read out a passage of Scripture from Romans 8. Let me just read it to you, because it speaks into her situation and ours. Do you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing, can get between us and God's love because of the way Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. That's really the difference the resurrection makes to our lives. It meant that even in Danielle's darkest, darkest days, Jesus was still there. He was still there. He was holding on to her even when she couldn't hold on, even when she couldn't see hope and life and faith. Jesus was still holding on to her. It means even in her death, awful though it is, Even in her death, even death itself couldn't separate her from the love of Christ, from the presence of God, because Jesus has already defeated death. That's the point of the resurrection, because Jesus has conquered the grave, because he's defeated the power of death. So even though her death was horrendous, she's passed over into a newness of life, and she's alive, and she's safe, and she's well in the presence of Jesus. That's the difference the resurrection makes. That's the difference to our life in the present, the hope the knowledge that there is more than just this life, that's the, that's, the, that's the difference it makes beyond this life, to know that death is not the end, that death is not final, but death is the doorway into newness of life. And no matter how it happens for us, it can be that gateway into new life because Jesus himself has been raised from the dead. That's the difference the resurrection makes. That's the hope that we have to hold on to, those of us who do know Jesus, who have trusted our lives to Jesus who do follow him in faith. We know the resurrection makes a difference to this life and the life to come. And so then let's look finally at Peter. Let's look at this last category of people, those who aren't sure, those who are kind of pondering and wondering about all this. And they're represented by Peter in this story, this guy who walks away from the tomb and he's just not sure and he's wondering and he's turning all this over in his mind and he's he's trying to figure it out. And I think this represents maybe the biggest category of people around today. People that just don't know, and they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily write the whole thing off, but they're just not sure, and they're kind of just in limbo with it, and they, they ponder it, and they don't know where to go with it. And the reality is, I think a lot of the time, we don't think much about these big questions of life and death and where we stand with all this until you get here on a morning like this on Easter Sunday, and suddenly you're confronted with it. But you may be in that space of, I'm just not really sure, you're kind of agnostic on this, you're on the fence, don't know what to make of it. There's a biography on Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. And in the book, there's an interview with Steve Jobs right at the end of his life. He struggled with cancer for about a decade. And there's an interview just toward the end of that time. Um, his death is it was not too far after that. And he was at home one day sitting in his garden. He wasn't feeling particularly well that day. Uh, and he was just reflecting with his biographer on his life, all of his accomplishments, the meaning of his life, and his imminent death. And he said this, For most of my life, I've felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I like to think that something survives after you die. It's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and maybe a little wisdom, and it just goes away. So I really wanna believe that something survives, that maybe your consciousness endures. But on the other hand, perhaps it's like an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. Maybe that's why I never like to put on-off switches on Apple devices. So you, you can kind of hear him wrestling there with this question of what do I believe about all this and that, that basic human question I think everybody wrestles with. Is there more than just this life? Is this life really all there is or could there be something more? Could there be someone out there? And, and Steve Jobs wrestled with that. I think so many of us wrestle with that question. We don't have a lot of time and space and energy to give those questions, but they are important and big questions and worth pondering. And even though in this story, we don't know exactly where Peter landed on this here, but we do know how his story ended because Peter keeps cropping up in the Bible. He keeps cropping up in the New Testament, so we kind of follow his journey a little bit. In fact, Peter wrote a couple of letters later on in his life that ended up right at the end of our Bible. And let me just read to you from one of those letters that he wrote. At the beginning of his, uh, of his letter, he says this. Praise be to the great God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter came to believe. If if what he's writing here is true, then Peter himself came to believe this event really happened because he's talking about the resurrection. So at a certain point Peter must have moved from just wondering about this to actually believing what went on. And not only that, but he draws these implications from the resurrection. And he says that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he has given us new birth. That in a sense, we're passing from death to life. So what Peter is saying is the resurrection is not only an historical event, but it is also this beautiful picture of what can happen to any human life. Of any person who trusts Jesus, the resurrection becomes their story. It's not just the story of what happened to Jesus. It is this beautiful picture of what happens to us, that we were all in the tomb, so to speak. It's like that song that Nate sung before says, we were all in this tomb, this tomb of guilt, this tomb of shame, this tomb of sin. We were all spiritually dead. Uh, You may be here this morning, you may be very much alive, I hope. Your heart may be doing just fine, you may be feeling great, but on the inside, You can be spiritually dead. On the inside, you can be cut off from God. You can be a long way from Him. You can feel like, I don't even know where God is in relation to me. I'm not even sure there is a God. You can be alienated from Him, cut off. You can be like a spiritual corpse on the inside, even while you're feeling great on the outside. We can be in this tomb. But the great news of the Easter story is that God hasn't left us in the tomb, that God has called our name so that we can walk out of the grave that we can walk from death to life, that we can experience in our lives resurrection. It's what the Bible calls new birth, or being born again, being born from above, having this new life where we walk out of darkness, we walk into light, we walk out of this tomb, and we walk into forgiveness, and we walk into the freedom of knowing that our past no longer has power over us. Other people no longer have power over us, but our lives belong to God and we walk in the freedom of knowing that we are friends of God, and we have peace with God, and eternal life awaits us after this life is over. That's the journey from death to life. Let me quote here from the words of the great theologian Bono, Bono, who said, from you 2 who said, of all the Christian festivals, it is the Easter parade that demands the most faith, pushing you past reverence for creation, Through bewilderment at the idea of a virgin birth and into the far-fetched and far-reaching idea that death is not the end, the cross as crossroads. Whatever your religious or non-religious views, the chance to begin again is a compelling idea. And I think he's putting his finger there, isn't he, on something that is so central to the Easter story, the chance to begin again. That's really what it comes down to. It's really what God offers us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the chance to begin again. Because I think many of us live with this idea that because we've done things wrong in our life, eventually those things are going to catch up with us. That maybe you've put bad karma out there and this bad karma is going to come back and catch up with you. Or you've put this bad stuff out to the universe and eventually the universe is going to repay you. Or somehow your bad stuff is going to catch up with you. And the great news of the Easter story is that God doesn't work that way that God has not made us pay for our stuff. God has paid for it. He's paid for it himself. That's the significance of Jesus' death, that he's taken all of our regrets. He's taken all of our mistakes. He's taken our past. He's taken all the stupid things we've done and all the stupid things we're not even aware that we've done, all the ways in which we've fallen short of who God created us to be. Jesus has taken all of that, and he's taken it to the grave so that we would no longer have to pay for those things. We would no longer have to bear the consequences of those things, but we could have the chance of a new beginning, a fresh start, a new life, a clean slate, a new slate, and not just a a new beginning in and of ourselves, but a new beginning in relationship with God. That's the promise. That's what Easter is all about, is reconnecting you to the God of the universe who loves you, who knows you by name, and who has stepped into this world in space-time history, who has lived and died and been raised again to new life, and He's done it so that you could be reunited from Him no matter how far away you are from Him this morning, no matter how long it's been since you've talked to Him, or maybe it's never. But Jesus has died so that relationship could be restored, that you could be reconciled to God and have a new beginning in relationship with Him. That's the heart of the Easter story. And so I just want to say to you, if you are Peter, if you're Peter in this story and you're wondering and you're not sure and you kind of just don't know how to put it all together in your head, I want to just encourage you to do what Peter did in this story. So Peter didn't take the woman at their word, but neither did he just write it off as nonsense. What did he do? He got up and ran to the tomb. Now, I'm not saying you have to go over to Jerusalem, you know, look in the tomb and see. I'll save you a lot of time. Jesus is not there. Okay, You're going to save yourself the airfare. But what I'm saying is look into it like Peter did. Look into it for yourself. Peter ran to the tomb. He wanted to see. He wanted to try and experience this for himself. You look into it for yourself. Don't just push this away. I know the easiest thing in the world is you walk out of here and you just kind of get back to normal life. Everything will crowd back into your life so quickly. But here you are for these few minutes, confronted with this reality of life and death, eternal life and death. Questions of significance that you're not normally asking yourself. I want to urge you not to put these questions out of your mind, but to lean into this, press into this, look into this as Peter did. You read the other accounts of the resurrection in the Bible. There's four of them, not just the one we looked at today. You look at that. Look how they line up. Read more broadly. There's a book I've put in your your bulletin reference to a book there called The Case for Easter. That's a great read around the broader issues of the resurrection and how can we know this is historically reliable as an event. It's a great book to read. I'd encourage you to purchase it. Talk to other people. Talk to the person that brought you here today. Don't go away and just let everything else clutter your life again. If this happened, if what happened that Sunday morning really happened, it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes history. It changes the future. It changes this world. It can change your life. It can change your life. And so press into that. Keep searching. Keep looking. Keep talking. Keep investigating. You will find the risen Jesus. I guarantee you. So, wherever you're at in this story, whichever category you're in, maybe you're the skeptic, maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're like Peter, you're wondering, maybe you don't even know which category you're in and you're floating between the categories. It doesn't matter. I want to just encourage you to take a step this morning. Take a step. If you're skeptical, if this is nonsense to you, just take the step of prying open that worldview just a little bit, challenging your own assumptions and presuppositions because they need to be challenged. If you're a believer and you embrace this, take hold even more fully of the hope that is there and the depth of meaning that is there for life and death. And if you're not sure, if you're like Peter, keep on searching, keep on looking. Begin a conversation with God today. Just start talking to him about it. Even if the first words are God I'm not even sure if you're real. I'm not even sure if you're there. You just start that conversation with him. And like any relationship, you see how that develops over time. Talk to someone about it and keep investigating it. Let's pray. You might be here this morning just sitting here and just in the quietness of of this moment and reflecting on this, this story and these events, maybe you feel like your heart is stirred. Maybe you feel like your heart is just strangely stirred this morning. And that's God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you feel like there's something just being awakened in you this morning and you've seen, you've seen Jesus in a different light. Maybe you've seen the story in a different way. Maybe you walked in here just expecting nothing, but you're confronted with a reality that you, you can't deny. And you may be in that place this morning that you are ready to cross over from just wondering about all this, just wondering about it, to believing. And this can be a day when you take that step. And we all keep wondering about things, and it doesn't mean the questions go away. But it means you begin to answer those questions from a place of faith and trust and within a relationship with God. And so if that's you this morning, and you feel, you know, this, I'm kind of ready to move forward in this. And I've just been pushing this out of my mind for so long, and it hasn't, I haven't been taking this seriously, but, but I want to I know more. I want to move forward. I want to know Jesus. I want to know this God who's created me. I just want to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to make this your prayer, and if you want to use my words to pray, and maybe put some of your own words in as well, that's fine. If this prayer can represent you, then, then make it yours today. Let me pray for you. God, I acknowledge that I'm a broken, sinful person. And I acknowledge that I have fallen so far short of who you have made me to be. But I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he has died in my place. That he has died on my behalf. That he has died a death that I should have died. And I thank you even more that he's been raised from the dead. And that resurrection can be my resurrection today. And so I pray, God, that you would forgive me because Jesus has carried all of my sin. I pray that you would forgive me and free me and give me that new life that you've promised to give me. Give me that new beginning. Give me that fresh start. Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my future in this life. I trust you with my eternal future in the next life. And I thank you that you are so willing to come and begin a relationship with me. So I pray that relationship would start today. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more of our teaching resources,